Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. If you would like to reach out to us at New Era Property, then you can contact us either by phone, which is 01886 834 800, or you can drop by our website, which is www.neweraPropertySolutions.co.uk. And on the website, we have a list of all the different courses and different mentoring programs that we can offer you. So today we're going to be talking to Linda Wright, planning consultant. Linda's been in the property planning industry for over 30 years and has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all things planning and HMO conversions. We are here with Linda Wright from Planet Wright Consultants and Linda has come along today to talk to us to dispel a few rumours about planning and to see if we can help any of the new budding property investors that are listening to the podcast with any of their planning issues. So firstly, Linda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rick. Pleasure to be here. And thank you so much for coming along. So Linda, we've got loads of questions and what we've done is we put it out to our audience and um, asked them what their most burning questions would be if we could have uh, them answered by a planning consultant. And this is what we've come up with. So in no particular order, Linda, the first question is to you. Can you describe your job for us so the listeners know what it is exactly that you do in terms of your role? We could be here for a long time, Rick, but very, very briefly, uh, a planning consultant is there to work out whether what you want to do with your project, your building, your piece of land, whatever that might be, whether it will comply with planning policies. I'm not an architect, but we do get drawings done in the company for you. Um, An architect is there to realise a vision and a dream and put it into bricks and mortar. Um, I'm there to see that the to get you into into a position where you're most likely to get planning permission. No guarantees. Um, But that's what I do. I look at whether what your project or proposal is and whether it will comply with planning policies. Fantastic. Thank you. So do many people come to you in your role when they are already in a bit of a a sticky situation? Perhaps maybe they should have gone to you to begin with. They chose to do it on their own. And now all of a sudden they're in a position that they need your help. I mean, would that be um, a common thing for you? Uh, yeah, thanks for that, Rick. Um, yeah, yes, they do. Um, I do get a lot of people who come to me and quite frankly, they're in the planning poo. Um, they've either gone and done something and got something refused or they've actually gone and bought a property uh, and get very upset with me when I say that, well, actually, they're not going to be able to do what they want to do or they're intending to do with the uh, building, the land, because of the fact that it won't comply with planning policies. Okay, fantastic. And Linda, this is probably a bit of a probing question because we can only have one answer, okay? Just one? (laughs) Just one answer. What frustrates you the most when it comes to property? per se. Now, this has got to be in a planning context. So what would be the, the, the first thing that comes out in the forefront of your mind when it comes to planning permission and property, the most frustrating thing? The most frustrating thing is that you can't carbon copy planning. No two projects will be the same and certainly no two sites or 
uh, pieces of land will be the same. Every single time that you look at something, there will be different circumstances surrounding that building. There'll be a, a window here, there'll be an access there, there'll be a, a neighbour's window, you'll get neighbour objections. Every single thing will be different. And a lot of people think that if they've done something in one council authority area, they can do exactly the same in the neighbouring or a council at the other side of the country. You simply can't. That is the delight, uh, if you like, and the frustration of uh, English planning. Fantastic. So if I went down to the pub and my mate Dave um, is really knowledgeable, my mate Dave, he's been there, he's done it. And to be fair, you know, he's got a lot of knowledge. He said to me that he's got planning permission on permitted development to put um, a single story extension on the back of his house. That doesn't necessarily mean that I can do the same. Now, it's really interesting that you're taking planning advice from your mate Dave down the pub. Absolutely. Please don't. That's um, really good advice. <laughs> what, what really you should be looking at is just because he's done it, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, did he actually check first? And if he's either going to sell the property in, in, a, in the future or if he's going to try and raise finance on that property... Are they going to come back at him and say, well, actually, you didn't have planning permission. You needed it. Is he going to be in trouble in the future? So and just because he's done it on one property in one particular circumstance doesn't mean to say that whatever your property is, is going to be the same. You need to check and double check. Fantastic. That's really, really good advice. And I think that's kind of in keeping with most advice we would give people in business as well in general, because there are no two things the same. There are no two deals the same. There are no two properties the same. So, you know, if anyone can take anything from that particular bit of advice, folks, is always make sure you treat every individual application in its own merit. So, Linda, um, you know, can you describe to us in your own words? Now, this is something that um, loads of people talk about all the time. It's very topical. And in my own experience, uh, people get this confused a lot. So when we talk about property and we talk about permitted development for houses of multiple occupation, people get planning permission and licensing confused. And then they do go into the, the planning side of things a little bit and then they don't understand what they can do and what they can't do when it comes to turning a, a house into a HMO. So we've got this thing that everybody's heard of, but not everybody understands called Article 4 Planning Direction. So would you be able to explain to us exactly what that means from a planning perspective? Right, okay. How long have you got? Um, <laughs> let's start first with HMOs and Article 4 Directions. Right, set HMOs on one side. An Article 4 Direction is a power that can be used by local authorities. Now, it's not just for HMOs. It has been around for 30 odd years in the planning legislation. I overheard someone the other day at a property meeting say, oh, well, of course, Article 4 was introduced for HMOs. Well, it wasn't. It's been around for a long, long time. And if I explain it like this, Article 4 in the legislation and the regulations gives you planning permission under permitted development rights. That gives you, Article 3 gives you permitted development rights. Article 4 gives the power to local authorities to remove that permitted development right. So what 
what has happened with a lot of councils, especially with regard to HMOs, is that they've removed the permitted development right. Now, what's been happening over the last 20 or 30 years is that permitted development rights have been removed on things like conservation areas so that you can't put UPVC windows in. It will have removed permitted development rights on very, very small estates of houses so that you can't put an extension on or a garden shed. So that's what Article 4 direction does. It removes the permitted development right granted by national legislation. And it's all about local circumstances. For example, Manchester was one of the first to uh, install Article 4 direction, bring that into force. And it's city council-wide. It goes from boundary to boundary. So you cannot change a single dwelling house to an an HMO because there's an Article 4 direction on there anywhere in Manchester. And that's a single dwelling house to up to six tenants. It's not about bedrooms. It's about the number of tenants, six tenants. As soon as you go to seven, you need planning permission all over the place. Doesn't matter if there's an Article 4 direction, you need planning permission. So that's what an Article 4 direction does. It removes your permitted development rights in a local council area, removes your national rights to change a single dwelling house to an HMO, a small HMO, up to six people. Now, don't forget, this is in England only. In Wales, there are no permitted development rights to change single dwelling house to an HMO. You need planning permission for anything HMO-wise across Wales. That's an absolutely fantastic answer. So, I mean, you know, it's a really detailed answer. And I think, you know, the question that I've got now is, um, what if I wanted to invest into HMOs and it was an Article 4 area, am I automatically going to be turned away? No, that's a great question, Rick. And if I hadn't run out of breath, I would have carried on for that, but I didn't. So um, just because there's an Article 4 direction on a, a council area or on a, an estate or a, a, a small area of a, of a council um, authority, just because there's an Article 4 direction there doesn't mean to say you can't do it. It just means that there is a restriction on that and you'll have to submit a full planning application. Now, the good news is that because the council have removed your permitted development rights, there's no planning application fee. So you can submit the application, but you have to remember that there is a very good reason why the council have put that Article 4 direction on there. It means they've got problems. It means they're looking at this closely. It means they might have an oversaturation of HMOs in the area. So what they're going to do is they're going to look at this forensically. So if there's a problem with parking, antisocial behaviour, anything in that area, they are going to look at this carefully. So they may also have specific restrictive planning policies in place. So that combination means your planning application will be looked at carefully. Uh, If it is feasible, then there's every likelihood that you will get an approval. Um, But most councils have put Article 4 directions in place because there are problems and they're trying to prevent those problems. So it's arguable as to whether you will get planning permission. Fantastic. What a, what a great answer. Thank you for being so detailed, Linda. And I know that certainly in the areas that, that we invest, 
the the council have adopted a policy now as well where they're being flexible so in areas that have got article 4 um, and if there is a rogue if you say rogue or a standalone house in the middle of a street that's completely full of HMOs uh, the the tenants or the the owners of that property are saying that they aren't able to sell it as a dwelling house um, so what our council have decided to do is now allow certain cases to be given the rights to turn the property into a C4 for that reason, so they can sell that property um, unrestricted. And also, they have also said now that they're going to go with um, with the market. And if the market in HMOs change, then we can apply now as well for um, a change of use from a HMO back to a dwelling house, which is a C3, if the market changes from HMO, so we can put a single family in and... If the market changes again within a certain period of time, we can put it back to C4. So I suppose it's very, very different for, for different councils in terms of the flexibility issues. But I think it's fair to say that um, certainly where we are, the, the council have adopted a very pragmatic approach in terms of what works for the market. So, folks, that's Article 4. Now, don't get that confused with licensing it's not licensing okay but that's going to be for another podcast so linda so in your role you have lots of consultations and you help a lot of people with their planning problems could you give me one thing just one and um, that would really aggravate you in terms of what people get wrong in planning so in your role as a consultant what would be the one thing that really kind of stands out for you that niggles you to say, well, oh, I wish, you know, people really knew how to do this? Um, just one. Yeah, just one. You sure? <laughs> We've only got a 30 minute podcast. You sure? You sure? <laughs> just one. Um, the, the one thing that is frustrating, uh, there's lots of things that are frustrating about planning and, and generally planning can be quite frustrating in and of itself. But the one thing that I would say is time. Um, that people don't realise how long it can take sometimes to get planning permission. It shouldn't. And if you've got a good planning consultant or you've got a good professional agent babysitting the planning application, if you have to put one in or looking at that and chasing the planners all the time, then that can help. But it's no guarantee at the end because councils sometimes are a bit of a law unto, unto themselves. But the one thing that I would say is to anyone who is looking to have to submit a planning application, build in time to get your drawings done, either with an architect, with a company like mine, an architectural technologist, whoever is doing your drawings. Build in time to get the survey done, the drawings done, for you to agree that the drawings are okay and you're happy with the layout and everything. And then you have to allow a minimum of eight weeks for the council to deal with a planning application. So if you build in eight, if you start with eight weeks, if you do this backwards, start with eight weeks, then go backwards to how long, however long it's going to get to take, take to get your drawings done. Uh, and we need a title plan so that we know the extent of the land that you're dealing with and we'll do the survey. Um, but it's time. There's no guarantee. The biggest thing is if people are on a bridging loan, and they, they have quantified the amount of time and the amount of interest that they're going to have to pay on a biggish loan. And then all of a sudden it goes over by a couple of weeks or a month or six weeks or even more than that if there's complication. So I would say the biggest frustration is please allow for time. Don't forget that 
planning is a slow process, um, can be a slow process, and a, a build sufficient time in there if you can, uh, but certainly bear it in mind. Fantastic. And if it goes, well, say goes over time, if there is no um, minimum time frame, what can, what can people do in order to check on an application, for example? So if an application's in and they haven't heard anything for four, maybe five weeks, what's the process that they would go through to find out what's happening? Right, okay. I mean, well, obviously, I would say use a fabulous planning consultant. Absolutely. I would say that. But if you're any professional, if you're, if you're paying a professional uh, to do your drawings and to submit your application and act as your agent, then they should be doing this for you. And you don't, I always say, it, putting in a planning application is leaving a toddler in a huge shopping mall. You wouldn't. You just wouldn't let them wander off and, and wander around and get lost because they will. And planning applications can sometimes disappear into a black hole. You need to first make sure that they're registered. They're actually starting the process because sometimes they can disappear off someone's desk. That has happened. Um, and also start to check on the process with emails, with a phone call, and make sure that you're chasing, that the application is being chased and it's not just being left alone. Because if you do that, it will go to the bottom of a pile. Okay. And in terms of your role as a consultant, do you also help with appeal processes as well? Yeah, I do. I mean, a lot of people think that I just deal with the planning applications up front. But no, I deal with a lot. There are very few of my applications that end up going to appeal because most 95% of my applications are approved. Um, the applications that I do get to take to appeal are the ones where someone else has dealt with it and the client will bring it to me and say, well, can you appeal this? It's been refused. Can you appeal it? My answer is not, not, it's not going to always be yes. I will, I will review the reasons for refusal. Now, sometimes my advice will be, well, actually, these reasons for refusal can be dealt with. And if they can be dealt with, trust me, I'm, I'm a planning consultant. No, I didn't say that. Um, trust me, if there are reasons that you can reasonably deal with, submit another application. Get another application in. Deal with all of the reasons for refusal. It might just be that the information wasn't submitted. If you can resubmit it, it is going to be far quicker to get another application in than going to appeal. An appeal is probably going to take you around about eight, possibly 12 months. Wow. So be careful because that can sometimes seriously affect your cash flow, your finances, your planning, everything else. So an appeal is not for the faint hearted. Um, you need to be absolutely sure that an appeal is winnable. And um, honestly, Rick, I will tell people if it's not winnable. And lots of people go off to another planning consultant who says, yeah, give it to me. And they lose the appeal. I, unfortunately, for my accountant, I tell people the truth and say, if you haven't got a chance of winning this on appeal, I will say so. Fantastic. And that's some great advice. And, you know, and I didn't realise it could take up to 12 months to go through the appeal process. So that kind of answers a few questions as well, um, you know, in terms of um, why we do what we do for, you know, withdrawing applications and putting new ones in. So, Linda, um, slightly off topic here. What was the last book you read? Well, actually, bizarrely, it was The One Thing. And you're going to ask me what the name of the author is and I can't remember. 
but it was it's called the one thing and it's it's all it's it was really interesting and actually i've read it and then i'll listen to it again on audible because when i do long car journeys i put things on audible and, and i listen to it again on a very long journey backwards and forwards and so that was that was the last one that i read okay and the one thing is about you're putting me on the spot now here. It's all about um, doing that one thing. It's about prioritising. It's about goal setting. It's about being more uh, proactive, efficient with your time and just getting things done, basically. Just getting things done. Just doing yeah. one thing instead of doing several different it, things at once. Which is, is what I am guilty of. Okay. Or so have that, been. The one thing, folks, I've read that. It probably is one of my favourite books. Mm. Okay, great. And, um, you know, what is your all-time favourite book? So that's the one you've just read. What would you say your all-time favourite book was? There's a couple, I suppose. Um, and and they're, they're from sort of childhood things. Um, when I was at school... Um, we read The Catcher in the Rye. Now, that is probably going to seriously date me. Um, and I, I love that book to this day. Um, and oh, there's, there's lots of books because I'm, 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 a, I'm a maniac reader on Kindle, on paperback, you know, picking things up at train stations, airports. Or I'm terrible for doing that. And, but the problem is once I start a book, I can't put it down. I've got to finish it and read it. So The Catcher in the Rye is one. And the other one that, again, stems from school is um, To Kill a Mockingbird. And, again, that is probably going to seriously date me. So those are the two, two ones that stand out. Perfect. Thank you so much, Linda. And, finally, the final question. Who would you say inspires you uh, or has inspired you the most? Hmm. There's lots of people along the route have inspired me, but the guy that I'm I've I've been reading about and I've I've read all sorts of bits and pieces about at the moment is Elon Musk, and mainly because I got really interested in his car, the Tesla. I'm a bit of an old petrol head, um, and and the Tesla being an electric car and absolutely beautiful, and it sort of kicked off when a friend of mine bought one, and I now find out that they do them in red. <laughs> which is probably a very dangerous thing. And my bank manager is probably going to be fainting as we speak. Um, but I, I started to look at who designed this and who'd had this fun. And it turns out it's Elon Musk and started to read about this phenomenal guy and what he gets involved in. And so I'd say that at the minute it's Elon Musk. Uh, Absolutely. Fantastic. And yeah, I mean, what, what, what an amazing person. And we talk about making a difference. Sometimes that can be a little bit of a cliche, but, you know, he has made a huge difference and will continue to do so. Exactly. So, Linda, if people want to reach out to you from the podcast uh, in order for you to be able to you know, help them with their, um, their planning issues, um, how do they do that? How can we get in touch with Linda? Right. Well, if you go on the website, which is planetright.co.uk, you can catch me on there. Um, my mobile number, you can get me on that, is 07765250150. Or you can send an email. Uh, and my admin team, if you want to book a telephone consultation, my admin team can deal with that for you. That's admin at planetright.co.uk. And watch this space because I will be issuing an online planning course very soon. 
Fantastic. So, folks, that's how to reach out to Linda. Linda, the planning consultant. So any issues, you know, sometimes uh, people think it's going to be cheaper and do it yourself, DIY. Well, you know, in my experience, that's certainly not the case. And if you're forging a business and we're doing things properly, then let's make sure we take the correct advice. So any planning issues you have, folks, you've got Linda's number. It'd be great for you to uh, to hook up together. So finally, Linda, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Rick. And thank uh, you. wish you all the best with your endeavours. Thanks very much.